Good to see you all. How we doing? Good. Good. Glad to hear that. You know, uh, I think it's always important to keep learning and keep growing. And uh, as a part of my personal development, I stretched myself a little bit yesterday, and I watched half of a Ducks game. <laughs> I was trying to understand something of the rituals of Ducks fans. So three, three observations I made. Observation number one, there was special food served. In this case, it was a special garden stew. The second observation that I made is whenever the Ducks would score a touchdown, the excitement in the room overflowed to the point of shouts of joy and spontaneous high fives being passed out. And then uh, the other thing that I observed is there were several partially clothed children running around screaming and crying, adding to the chaos and noise. I don't know if that's a normal part of things, but for some of us it is apparently. It was a lot to take in, and uh, I can still see that uh, I have a lot to learn about the rituals of Ducks fans. So we're continuing our sermon series this morning on baptism, and today we're going to be talking about hermeneutical issues and heart issues surrounding this topic. I believe that baptism, it is important, it's necessary, and a beautiful part of every disciple's life, and that it is the normal means through which a person accepts Jesus and becomes a part of his church. And this is all done through faith. So again, two sources that I want to point you to, uh, just by way of reminder. Uh, this is a little book I have. If you're interested in studying more, preparing for baptism, uh, I'm giving those away for free for anyone who, who wants that or you want to be working through that with uh, you as an adult or you have family members or kids. Um, it's some thoughtful stuff. It just kind of shows you how this all uh, fits together. And then another uh, good source that I can recommend, Baptism, What the Bible Teaches. It's a renew.org uh, resource. You just enter that in and uh, you can go to that website and if you sign up for their e-news e, e and stuff like that, I, I think there's a way you can just get this book for free digitally. Um, very helpful stuff if you are actually interested in learning more about this. So uh, to begin, let me remind you of some hermeneutical issue that uh, relates to baptism that we dealt with last week in John chapter 3. And uh, I don't, I'm not trying to be, you know, just throw in this fancy word. Hermeneutics is just simply has to do with interpreting biblical and literary texts and the way that we go about that. Uh, hermeneutics, just think of it as coming up with best practices for understanding and how we go about applying the truths that we read, understanding those, and making application to our lives. And that's an important thing. Uh, how do we go about reading the Bible? How are we supposed to understand it? Uh, how do we live that out? Those are crucial questions we have to ask. 
Um, I've already told you some about my hermeneutic uh, as your minister. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what it says. I want to obey it. I want to put it into practice. And I want to do this in the clearest, simplest, and most straightforward way possible. That's a part of my hermeneutic that I preach that way. I also, uh, you know, preach that the Bible, it is the Word of God. We have the Bible that God intended us to have. It is infallible. It is unchanging. That uh, it is authoritative. When we read the Bible and the culture practice is different than what's in the Bible, the Bible is what we need to go with. That is my hermeneutic. Um, I don't come up with a cultural practice or something that I believe in personally or want to do, and then I go to the scriptures to find justification for that, and I pull text from here and there. That's a, that's a hermeneutic as well. That's a bad hermeneutic, I would say. So in John chapter 3, you know, I quote a lot of scripture in my sermons. I take the time to type Bible verses out as I, I study them, as I read about them, I pray about them. Uh, and that also reflects my, my hermeneutic as well. Uh, I want you to have the exact references and that you can easily find them, that you can talk about them, think about them, and weigh what I say up here and what is going on in our teaching and see, does this match up with what the Bible teaches. So when it comes to uh, certain topics that are discussed multiple places in the New Testament, uh, there might not be one scripture that encompasses everything there is to know on a topic. Uh, for example, we looked at this last week. These are beautiful words. Because I am an advocate of baptism does not mean I am against what I read in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What does this say about baptism? It doesn't say anything about baptism. But what I cannot do is take one particular verse that I like and use it as a justification to dismiss every other verse that says has something to say about this in the Bible. In my mind, uh, that in my mind it seems to be at odds with what I read in a particular verse. So uh, it is a hermeneutic that I could go and say, I'm just, I'm just a John 3.16 Christian. And uh, any verse that seems to suggest something other than just believing, it's a work of man and something extra that has been added on. But it's interesting because the same author who wrote those words in this very same discourse also said this, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. John 3, 5 and John 3, 16 come under the same conversation that Jesus is having with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. When John wrote these verses, 
He didn't think they were in opposition to each other. He's not trying to set up a situation of pick and choose, which side are you going to be on? Rather, they are both a part of a beautiful truth that is being revealed. Here's another example. Tell me a verse that teaches us something about prayer. Well, what, what verse would you choose that talks about prayer? How many verses are there in the Bible that talk about prayer? Which is going to be the one you hang your hat on and you ignore the rest? I would think that would be a strange hermeneutical approach. So here's an example of, of prayer. How are we supposed to pray? There's a lot of verses that talk about how we are supposed to pray. We are supposed to ask in Jesus' name, John 14, 13 and 14. We are supposed to pray in faith, believing that it will happen. It's talking about faith. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. When we pray, we should not doubt, James 1.6 tells us. Our prayer should be in accord with God's will. We align ourselves to the things that are on God's heart, and that's what we pray. 1 John 5.14. Our prayer should be with right motives. James talks about this exclusively. You you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own selfish desires. Uh, we are called, and our prayer should be in the Spirit. We are called to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Ephesians 6.18. And Luke 18.1-8 is a story teaching us about prayer, about the importance of persistence and not giving up. Why would I want to pick just one of those and dismiss the others? I think they all add to the conversation. And they, they're, they're from a, all kinds of different places in our Bible. And yet they're talking about a particular topic of prayer and that it just it gets better and deeper and richer. We don't have to pick and choose. It would seem strange to do that. And yet when it comes to the topic and issue of baptism, a lot of people try to do that very thing. So what does John 3.16 say about baptism? We've already answered that. It says nothing about repentance. It says nothing about confession. And it says nothing about baptism in that one particular verse. But in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, and 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10, we are told that a person must repent for their sins. If you don't believe me, look up the references. In Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and 1 John 4, 15, we are told that a person must confess Jesus as the Son of God and Lord. 
And then finally, Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38, and 1 Peter 3, 21, we are told that a person must be baptized for the forgiveness of sins in order to be saved. Those are the verses there. And you could say, Calvin, you're just proof texting. You're just trying to win an argument, maybe. I'm really not. I invite you to look at the context of these passages. Please do. Check me on it. And if you care enough to openly and honestly look at these texts and try to understand the context in which they're written, yes, sometimes maybe more questions could be raised that you need to figure out an answer. But you will also start to understand certain patterns that you find in the Bible, things that keep popping up. And if a person really takes the time to study the New Testament in depth, I believe that the clarity will come, not just with baptism, but with a variety of issues. What makes it hard or confusing is, I think, frankly, that there's such a wide variance of practice among Christians regarding baptism. There are so many traditions uh, speaking into this that it can kind of cloud things. Traditions where the practice has changed over time and moved away from the simplicity and practice of what they did in the New Testament church. If you come from a, a, a tradition that baptizes babies or just sprinkles or pours water on someone rather than immersing them or plunging them, burying them in water, if you come from a tradition that teaches, you know, baptism, it doesn't really even matter that much because what matters is saying the sinner's prayer. And it, it, what matters is the belief. And don't worry about the rest. Uh, then there's a tension that you're going to have to deal with when you read verses of Scripture that show something different. You're going to have to figure out what to do with those verses and how to understand them. So, is it, am I being legalistic about this? Is it legalistic for our church to say, this is what we understand, this is what we believe, this is what we practice. I don't think the desire to do biblical things in biblical ways as simply and as straightforward as possible, I don't think that necessarily makes us legalists. I don't think that the desire to do things right, the desire to figure out how to do things correctly, uh, to search for truth, to try to understand what God has said, to try to follow what God has commanded, I don't think any of that necessarily makes a person a legalist. Legalism is an issue of the heart. You know, there's a lot of things that we're asked to do in the Bible. A legalist will look at those things and they'll make a list of rules. And yet the person who is able to keep the commands of God the best, in the end it's not a legalist. 
the one who is able to keep the commands of God best and most clearly is always going to be the lover. For the love of God, for the love of Jesus Christ, because my heart has moved, and it's not about keeping a list of rules. It's about a heart that is wide open and just says, yes, Jesus Christ, have your way with me. Whatever the issue or the topic is. You can think of it another way. What's the difference between the hired servant and the son? A son is going to go about their father's business. A hired servant they're in it for other reasons and motives. And they, they have obligation. They're going to do that. A son or daughter is always going to keep the commands of God better. A person isn't baptized because Calvin said to do it. A person isn't baptized because Churches of Christ are hung up on this issue. A person is baptized because they are following the call of God and they desire to follow Jesus into the water and follow that example. So the true heart of baptism isn't a checklist of trying to tick things off and boxes that I have to do the better motivation for someone being born again of water and the Spirit uh, is that their heart has just become one big yes to Jesus Christ. You know, you get to a point where I'm, I'm tired of trying to do things my way. I'm tired of having to be the one in control. I just want to repent and let you be in control. And I just want the Holy Spirit to have his way with me. You know, that kind of heart. God uses that, and God moves us in a direction with that. So let me tell you two true stories that relate to this issue of baptism. And I want you to listen and think about what is the condition of the hearts that are being portrayed in these stories. The first one is actually one I heard from another minister. It's not firsthand, so it's secondhand, but I believe the guy is a good guy. And he talked about a woman from a Methodist background who came to see him, and that she had been studying the Bible, and as she read these stories in Scripture about baptism, a desire grew in her heart to the point where she wanted adult baptism by immersion for the forgiveness of sins. She wanted that. She didn't have that. She was from a tradition that didn't provide that to her. And yet as she studied the Bible, she became convinced of that. But the reason she came to that minister, a Church of Christ minister, was not to learn about the right ways of doing baptism. She came, uh, she had already concluded that this is the way to do it and she needed to do that, just studying the Bible. The problem was she had a sister and a brother-in-law who were a part of Churches of Christ who had been telling her for years, you're going to burn in hell because you have never done this the right way. And it seemed like they almost relished in the opportunity to t 
tell her that God was not at work in her life, to tell her that she was doing things all wrong, to tell her that her entire spiritual history was illegitimate, that she was going to hell unless she repented and did the right thing. So these Church of Christ relatives were so harsh with her about baptism, uh, and it was hard conversations, and she was trying to wrestle with that, and then sometime later she discovered uh, from her sister that her, her brother-in-law was a sexual deviant, and they were, they were struggling in their marriage, and now she's trying to reconcile that harshness and that firmness with that level of hypocrisy in their own life, and you can see how the waters get muddy sometimes. So she came to this minister because she was convinced that she needed to be baptized, but she felt like she couldn't do it because of how smug her Church of Christ relatives were going to be about it, and that she, in that act, would be proving them right. Where was this woman's heart? What was she thinking about? Somehow, things had shifted to, it didn't have anything to do with what was right, what the Bible teaches in the Lord, and it somehow, in the cloudiness and murk of human life, became about, what are they going to think about me if I do this? So baptism wasn't just about baptism anymore. Baptism had become about something else. We do this all the time. Baptism isn't just about baptism. It's, if I do this, is it going to hurt my parents' feelings? Baptism is about, uh, if I do this, does that mean I am in judgment on everything that I had learned in this tradition of my youth? And Baptism isn't about baptism. It is, what are people going to think? Or, they're going to think this about me? Or, all of these layers of complication and nuance that come. We can talk ourselves into things. We can talk ourselves out of things. It can feel complicated. You know, obviously, baptism is the only thing we do this with. We're human beings, and we love to make things complicated. We seem to be hardwired to make simple things more difficult than they really need to be. I don't know why we do that. I don't know why I do that. So this lady had a heart problem, but who else had a heart problem in this story? I think these women's relatives, I can't imagine that trauma, and it seemed unnecessarily harsh and legalistic to a level that it actually made something clear way more complicated than it need to be and needed to be and way more difficult. Trust the slow work of God in people's hearts. It's not just on you to fix every problem and situation immediately, right away. One thing I think that is life seasons you and you grow in wisdom, you learn some things over time. And one of those things that's difficult to learn but it's so crucial, is how to be convinced of something that, something that you are convinced is true. 
and you know is right is how to be right about something and not use that knowledge to harm other people. You know, we're from a tradition that values the truth. But sometimes truth has been used not as a scalpel to fix something in the heart, but rather as a club to bludgeon someone and win an argument and then walk away and not care a smidge about it because there's no love in it and there's no love behind it. So that's a story of how Baptism can get complicated in this case. Where do we go in life to move past complication into simplicity and clarity? I have to do this all the time because I'm swimming in messes and problems. You know, that's... Ministers are burnt out by this stuff all the time. And there's a crisis of finding ministers to... And so if you're a minister and anyone who is involved in ministry in this church, if you are not regularly feeding on something that brings simplicity and clarity and beauty, you shrivel. You become bitter. Your heart puts up walls because you just don't know how to deal with the pain. We're, we're bombarded with lies. We're bombarded with all of these voices clamoring to get our attention. I said my hermeneutic is that I believe the Bible is the Word of God, that it's infallible, it's authoritative, it's perfect. And I look for truth and clarity there before all other things. And somehow the Holy Spirit uses that, that it gives me strength and allows me to stand in a world filled with muck and gray, and compromise, and confusion. There's a, a hymn that I think of that talks about this reality, an old hymn. Uh, I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. That call of the Lord comes. And it comes through circumstances. It comes through the beauty of creation. It comes through relationships and interaction. But it comes primarily when I'm reading the Scripture and I'm called by my Savior. And things that were complicated become a lot clearer. And I long for it. And I go searching for it and I seek it because I need it in my soul.
So this one, the second baptism story, this is one that I witnessed firsthand. And it was a really strange one, and it really made a mark on me because it was a 30-year-old Lutheran woman who was baptized by, a mission, uh, baptized, uh, by immersion as an adult in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins. And this Lutheran woman was baptized that way by a Methodist minister in response to teaching she had heard from an Anglican and Catholic scholar. Some of you might recall that I was a part of an interdenominational spiritual formation organization called Renovari, and I was at this conference retreat, and we were at this beautiful ancient abbey uh, along the coast of Devonshire, England, and uh, it was gorgeous out there, and the richness of the teaching. What would cause a Lutheran to be baptized by a Methodist in response to teaching she had heard from an Anglican and a Catholic? None of those traditions have adult immersion as their regular practice of baptism. Well, that Anglican priest had, uh, had been going through some conversion stories in the book of Acts. And that Catholic scholar happened to be teaching uh, from John chapter 3 and the interactions between Jesus and Nicodemus. And somehow verses that she had never, she had heard all her life, suddenly leapt from the page and they had new meaning to her. And something clicked. And she longed for baptism and to be, not just have my parents do this to me as a baby, she needed to do this herself. She wanted it. She yearned for it. And she told some of us, this is something that I need to choose. This is something that I need to do myself. And the phrase that she used was, I need to follow Jesus into the water. I thought that's an interesting way to say it, but how beautiful. What was her heart showing? She read the scriptures Something clicked, and she knew in that moment, I need to follow Jesus into the water. In that moment, it wasn't about a checklist. It wasn't about who's right and who's wrong. It wasn't about a church tradition. It wasn't about hermeneutics or issues of interpretation. In that moment, it was the Holy Spirit leading this woman's heart to be one big yes for Jesus Christ and to simply obey in simplicity and beauty scriptures that she had read in her Bible. Isn't that the trick of it for all of us? To get away from the voices, the shoulds and the have-tos and the and just let my heart become one big yes for Jesus Christ. That's my desire. So to close our time this morning, 
If you're going to be studying about baptism, if you want to be learning about it, uh, these are verses that you're going to come across. These are the verses that you'll need to deal with. I can give you copies of these. You can take a picture, whatever you need to do. But I'm not going to offer commentary on them. I'm just going to close our time this morning reading straight from the Word of God, these scriptures, and I just want you to hear them and listen for your Savior's voice, listen for beauty in them. If you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you're going to fall asleep, don't close your eyes. Because Killian likes my soothing voice. I invite you, just listen now as we close our time this morning. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the work, working of God who raised him from the dead. But when the kindness and love 
of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. And here's Peter in 1 Peter talking about using symbolism, the symbolism of the whole story of Noah and Noah's Ark. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. <coughs> That's the word of God. Those are the scriptures <coughs> about baptism that we have to deal with. Logan, you can come up. I'm done. <coughs> I got cough going anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. Those are the scriptures we have to come to terms with. But I hope, I hope that you can hear something of the beauty in those words. And I hope that that beauty gets into your heart wherever you are with whether you've been baptized or need to be baptized or or you were baptized decades ago that you can hear something of the beauty that is in there of a God who loves us so much that he made a way for us to be with him forever so our invitation this morning is we always invite people for prayers in this church we always invite people to, if they want to put on the Lord in baptism, we can make that happen. And uh, it's our joy to be able to do that with you. 
uh, together and, and be your church family. Also, uh, today we're going to have a, a special time of prayer immediately following and here we're going to go into the fellowship hall and Jason has asked for the elders to uh, anoint him and pray over him asking for healing. He's struggled for years with diabetes and uh, the two things he asked for prayer was uh, to be healed of this disease and uh, he's praying still for the salvation of his dad. His dad, a beautiful human being, but has been resistant to the Lord for a long time. So immediately following the service, uh, the elders and Jason and his family and any who want to be a part of this and come uh, join us in the laying on of hands, we're going to go into the fellowship hall to do that where the elders will, will pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So that's another invitation that we have. It's good to be together. I love you guys. And we're going to keep trying to do our best to honor the Lord and uh, do everything that we can do to let our hearts become one big yes to Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and stand and sing together.